Matthew chapter number 24, and we're going to look at verse number 3. It says, Now as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, and they said, Tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered, and he said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All of these things are the beginning of sorrows. And then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, will hate one another. Then many false prophets will arise and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved, for the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Father, thank you for your word today, and I pray that you speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You can be seated this morning, and real quickly, turn beside you to the person that's sitting beside you and tell them, say, you look good this morning. Hallelujah. I hope you don't have to repent. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But we're excited. All God's children look good because God loves all his children. But uh, we're glad that you're in God's house this morning. Listen, if you um, are just now tuning in uh, with us in this series, uh, over the last few weeks, we started something called Excess Baggage. And in this, we've looked at things that we want to leave behind so that we don't carry them with us into the new year. And uh, we've looked at, uh, you know, fear last week, and, and uh, we've looked at discouragement. But this morning, um, I want to talk to you about something that is um, a little bit of a different subject you wouldn't think of in this regard. But this morning, I want to talk to you about being offended. Everybody say Offended. You know, I believe that we live in 2022 in one of the most offended and offendable generations that we have ever lived in. And it's not just one pocket of people. It's many groups of people. People are just offended. They're offended by everything. And so this morning, we're going to endeavor to look into the Word of God and see how to break free from an offended spirit. How to break free from an offended spirit. I love the way Solomon said it in Proverbs. He said, and a, a brother who is offended is harder to win than a, than a walled city. In other words, when somebody's heart becomes encrusted with the spirit of offense, it's very difficult to reach them. And I believe it's a ploy of the adversary to keep us from receiving all that God has for us. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to walk into 2022 carrying the offenses of yesterday. I want to let them go, as the Disney song says, and walk into freedom. Can I get an amen this morning? Hallelujah. So this morning, we're going to look at this, and we're going to learn at how to break free from the spirit of offense. I believe that being offended is a strategy of the enemy. Now, I'm going to tell you something that's rather interesting, but I want you to just allow your mind to track with me this morning. Um, 
many of you know this, that there are um, lots of things that I, that I love to do. I love to play music. I love computers. And I love being able to uh, scratch the itch of being able to help our missionaries on the field. Many of you are aware that uh, we've started a Bible college that's going to be launching this year to help our Kenyan missionaries in the Kenyan AG. And our church had a big part of that. Many of you know I like to do that. One thing I love about Africa, though, is Africa's big. When you think about Africa and you say the word Africa, a lot of people think Africa is a country. It's not a country. It's a continent. Actually, the United States can fit inside of the continent of Africa three times. And so I want you to think about how big it is. And Africa has everything from the pyramids of Egypt to South Africa, which looks like New York City. You have the Congo, which is nothing but Amazon jungle. And then you have the beautiful Masamara of Kenya. And that is the place that I have the privilege of being able to help our missionaries on a yearly basis. Now, why am I telling you all of this? Because if you look at my Facebook photo albums, I have lots of photos of uh, African wildlife because these are not in cages. This is not at a zoo. They roam freely. Now, particularly when you get to the capital city of Nairobi, you don't see a lot of, um, of wildlife roaming free, although every once in a while you'll find a stray zebra trying to cross the road or something like that. But once you get into the terrain of the Great Rift Valley, what you find is you start seeing baboons. And once you start seeing baboons, you start seeing the little vervet monkeys and all these different types of monkeys. In fact, there's such an infestation of monkeys in that part of Kenya that they have become a nuisance. And it's not uncommon to see a shop owner or a restaurant owner when he's taking your, uh, your, uh, your order at a restaurant to have a slingshot with rocks in his pocket, snapping the monkeys as they come, try to take the bread from the table. Very interesting. I've been there. I've done that. I've got the t-shirt. So in the fact that these monkeys are a nuisance, they've pretty much been a free game on trying to contain the population. So they were trying to figure out what's the easiest way to trap a monkey. And it may not be what you think. You would think to stick out some bananas or something like that, but it's really not like that at all. So how do you trap a monkey? What they do in Africa to trap monkeys is rather interesting. They get a cage, a rather large cage, and they take a large stick and they sweeten it with cane sugar. And they take this stick and they sweeten it. And what they do is they slide the stick through the back end of the cage so that it's protruding through the middle of the cage and out both sides. They leave the trap door open and there's something about the nature of the sweetened stick that the monkey is enamored by, and the monkey runs inside, inside the cage, door wide open, and he grabs a hold of the stick. Now, the monkey will not drop the stick. The monkey keeps a tight grip on it, and all they have to do is just go right behind the monkey and punch the button on the cage, lock the cage, and it's simply that easy. Now, if you're watching this, you want to scream out, drop the stick! You stupid monkey. Because literally, that's all it takes. But the enticement of this stick causes this monkey to want to stay in this prison that he has let himself in. This morning, the title of my message is, Drop the Stick. Can you say that with me? Say, Drop the Stick. Matthew 24 is an interesting passage of Scripture. 
in fact, if you're a Bible prophecy person and you study prophecy at all, you know that Matthew chapter 24 is the premier passage of prophecy straight from the lips of Jesus Christ himself. We hear about prophecy through uh, John the Revelator, the book of Revelation. We hear other things through Paul, talks about the Antichrist and, and all of those things. But Matthew 24 is prophecy straight from the heart of Christ. His disciples are sitting with him uh, up on the Mount of Olives and giving him a speech which theologians call the Olivet Discourse. And they're asking him about the destruction of the temple. They're overlooking this beautiful place in Jerusalem. And, and Jesus begins to talk to them about the signs of the coming of the Messiah and the end of the age. He, they ask three questions. When will these things be, number one? Number two, what will be the sign of your coming? Number three, what will be the end of the age? And so Jesus goes in and he begins to answer them. Now, what you've got to understand is that Matthew 24 is dealing with a Jewish audience. The church had not been revealed yet. That doesn't come to the book of Acts. He's dealing with the Jews, which we know the Jewish people as a whole are not those who have been saved, but those as a whole will go through tribulation because it's called the time of Jacob's trouble and God changed Jacob's name to Israel. So the tribulation period is a last shaking and ingathering to try to get the Jewish people to convert. But it's interesting because all Bible prophecy scholars, when they start teaching on prophecy on the end times, they begin to focus on different things. And I've got to admit to you, I've done it. I love teaching on Bible prophecy. And, you know, we start talking about the wars and the rumors of wars and what's happening in the Middle East and the different nations that are happening. Nation rising against nation and, and famine and pestilence and surely food shortages and, and diseases running rampant upon the earth. All of us focus on those things. But oftentimes when we're looking at end time signs that God says we need to be looking for, we run right past this big one. That he's trying to show us in Matthew 24 verse 10. And Jesus said, and many will be offended. Many will be offended. Somebody say many. What, what does many? Many means the, the, the most, the majority. In other words, many people in the last days, Jesus said, will be offended. And when you look at the passage of this, it really bothers me because he talks about, and the love will grow cold. Many people will begin to fall away in the times of the last days. I don't know about you, but I think that when we look at Matthew 24 and we see that one of the great last day signs is that people will be offended. I can see clearly that you and I are living in the last days, if not the beginning of it. We see that the spirit of offense has been loosed inside of our nation. And much like a monkey trying to grab a stick, people get offended and they won't let it go. They grab the stick and they, they, they're holding on to it for dear life because there's something enticing about it. There's something justifying about it. But we don't realize that when we're holding the stick of offense, we are simply entrapping ourselves. Come on, somebody. We're going to continue to look at this a little bit further. So if you're taking notes, I'm going to ask some questions this morning. And I want you to go through this with me. The first question I want to ask is this. Number one, what... What is offense? What is offense? An offense can be defined as something that outrages the moral or the physical 
senses. Something that outrages the moral or the physical senses. Biblically speaking, the word offended, it comes from the Greek word scandalon, where we get the word scandal from. And it literally means to be entrapped, enticed, or tripped up. Entrapped, enticed, or tripped up. Literally speaking, the scandalon is the stick that holds the trap open. I asked him to show you a picture on the screen this morning if it comes through. Anybody familiar with this cartoon? Cartoon image. Wiley Coyote or something like that may immediately come into the image of your mind. We see this trap that's been set, this snare. This stick that you see right here tied to this rope. In the Greek New Testament, the word scandalon is the word, mean, it, it means the stick that holds the trap open. And a lot of times in cartoons, they would place something under that box that was enticing, whether or not it would be a, 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 you know, a piece of food or it'd be some type of prize or something. And so they raced to this, they raced to this, unaware and oblivious of the fact that in just moments, they're about to hit the snick, take the snare, and be entrapped. And friends, that's exactly what offense is. In other words, you can say it like this. Are you ready? An offense is what invites you into the trap. But offended is what happens when you take the bait. An offense is what invites you into the trap. But offended is what happens when you take the bait. Can I tell you this morning that the adversary, the enemy of your soul, wants nothing more than for you to be offended. Offended at God, offended at culture, offended at your spouse, offended at your job, offended at everything. Why? Because if the enemy can get you offended, he can enslave you. And I believe we're living in an offended generation. People are offended at everything. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. This is going to sting a little bit, but it's the truth. Let me give you a little bit of uh, uh, sugar to make the medicine go down. Are you ready? You have a choice whether or not to be offended. You have a choice whether or not to be offended. It is time for the church of Jesus Christ to take authority over their emotions, to take authority over uh, their, their, their minds, and stop allowing their feelings and their emotions to dictate the course of their life. You have a choice whether or not to be offended. Because you don't have to take the bait. I wonder what, what 2022 would look like if some people in this room would make up their mind not to be offended. The Bible said your adversary roars about like a, like a, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Listen, he's seeking whom he may devour, but you and I need to be undevourable. Talking about Africa, there's a lizard in Africa that, that, that is in the rainforest areas. And it's a little green lizard. It's small. It probably weighs less than a, a third of a pound. And it's got spikes on its back. And it's green, but it's got red on its back. And it is one of the most poisonous reptiles in Africa. And do you know that a lion will pounce on a, you know, three, 4,000 pound elephant with no problem? A lion will jump into uh, 
the uh, situation where there's a, a zebra or something grazing and he will jump on a big animal. A lion will even try to take on a hippo. But do you know that that lion, when it walks up to that lizard, there's something about that lizard that is undesirable. There's something about that lizard to that lion that says, this guy's not edible. This guy's not eatable. If I hurt him, if I try to mess with him, I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to pay for it. Do you know when the enemy of our soul comes around like a lion seeking whom he may devour, I would be to God that the enemy would come upon us and say, they're not desirable. I don't think I can offend them. I don't think I can trip them up. That's what we need to strive to be. That's what we've got to strive to be. How do offenses come? It's a great question. How do offenses come? Well, I think one way that offenses come, offenses come by unmet expectations or uncommunicated expectations. Frustration comes, then offense comes. And, you know, I begin to think about this hero that is in the Bible who is a great man. And I want to introduce to you this morning, by way of a story, one of the greatest people besides Christ in the New Testament, a man by the name of John. John and Jesus were cousins. Elizabeth was pregnant and she knew that in her womb would be the forerunner of the Messiah. John preached a message of repent for the kingdom of heaven is coming. There's one coming after me whose shoes I'm unworthy to loose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John began to baptize, and, and even the Pharisees would try to sneak in and be baptized, and he would tell them, you generation of vipers and brood of snakes, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come, showing to me meat, repentance as meat for fruit. The Pharisees would get mad and they would leave. And, and one day the Bible says that John was on the banks of the muddy Jordan River, baptizing as he always did. And his eyes lock hold to his cousin Christ, the Messiah, walking down that dusty shore. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus then is baptized by John. The heavens open up. There's a declaration of, of this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And, and now what we see is that John is preaching about Jesus and, and now he's walking with Jesus and all of these things happen. But there comes a moment because John was a bad-to-the-bone preacher. He wasn't a rose preacher. Well, Herod and some folks, you know, they were having a little party and, and they were doing some inappropriate things. And he preaches that you shouldn't be living in adultery. And they arrest John the Baptist because the, the host of the party's daughter said, uh, I want John the Baptist's head on a silver platter. And so they arrest John and John's in prison. And John is, um, you know, uh, awaiting his death sentence. Jesus is out there. He's preaching. And, you know, John's the one. Uh, and, and what is John doing? John is out there preaching for Jesus, making the way for Jesus. And John's in prison and Jesus is not. Have you ever been hurt trying to help somebody else? And John 
heard the, the, saw the heavens open up, heard the voice, saw the Spirit descend like a dove, saw many miracles of Christ, and then now all of a sudden he is isolated alone in a prison dungeon. For all he knows, he's about to get his head cut off. And all of a sudden the disciples sneak out. Some of John's disciples come up to the window and they go, Psst, John! How are you doing in there? It's, man, it's rough. And I'm feeding us too well in here, guys. I really wish I could get out of here. What have you guys been up to? I'm, I'm illustrating, by the way. It's my sermon. When you have the microphone, you can preach it how you want to. Guys, what are you doing? Well, we, we've been out here watching Jesus' crusade, and I can just see John. Hmm, yeah, Jesus. Yeah, thanks to him, I'm in here. You don't think John felt like that? Why did Jesus respond to the disciples to go tell John that then? Here's what happened. So, yeah, we're in Jesus' crusade. He's out here healing folks and saving folks and casting out demons. And John's like, great, man, that's good for y'all, but it's not helping me. I'm in a dark dungeon here. He said, well, guys, if you do me a favor, go back and tell Jesus. Ask him this for me. Is he really the one? Or is he just one of these other showboat prophets that came to town? Is he the one or, or should we be looking for another? So the scripture says in the gospel of John that they went back to Christ and they told him. And John, you know, is, is, is in, his, in his feelings. And the disciples have communicated to Jesus. And Jesus said, okay, guys, here's what I want you to go tell John. The blind see. The deaf hear. The dead have been raised back to life. The demoniac has been delivered. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. See, a lot of times we think we're so spiritual we never can get offended. But let me tell you something, that if John... The one who baptized Christ and saw the heavens open up. And, and he thought Jesus was just going to bust him out right then and there. And, and everything was going to be hunky-dory. How many of you know that unmet expectations? Sometimes when you think something is going to be one way. And you think that somebody's going to help you out in this way. And they don't do it. It causes an avenue for offense to happen. Unmet expectations. Misunderstandings, offenses come today because of cultural things. Cultural things happen. Uh, people, you know, there was a big thing uh, from 20, uh, 2020 to 2021 where the, you know, the blacks are against the whites, the whites are against the blacks, and everybody's against each other, and it's cultural things. Then there's religious things. All of these things, offenses do come. But the question is, Here's what's important. How, how do we drop the stick? Because I feel like this morning I'm probably talking to some people who either are offended or there's a situation in your life right now that offense would look real justifiable. You don't know what they did to me. You don't know what they said to me. The question is, how do we drop the stick? Folks, I believe that the Bible, the Word of God, gives us some principles from various other passages of Scripture to help us 
not walk in a spirit of offense. Are you ready? Let's look at these together. How do we drop the stick? The first one is this. Are you ready? Let's go. You've got to stay in the Word. You've got to stay in the Word. David said this in Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. The word stumble there is the same word for offense. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble or to be offended. Folks, in 2020, if you want to cast aside that excess baggage of offense in your life, you've got to learn to stay in the Word. You've got to allow the Word of God to shine a light upon your heart, upon the hard places, upon the crusty places, upon the broken places, and allow His Word to penetrate and soften your heart. Because you and I cannot stay offended when we give ourselves to the Word of God. Why? Because His Word is like a mirror causing us to see our own selves. And when we understand, looking at God's perfect standard, how many things in our own life don't measure up, then you and I can't stay in a spirit of offense. So we got to stay in the Word. Everybody say, stay in the Word. Here's the second thing we got to do. The second thing we got to do, not only we stay in the Word, we've got to extend grace. We've got to extend grace. Have you ever noticed the fickleness of human nature? When you do wrong, you want everybody to forgive you. I mean, I didn't mean it. Please, just forgive me. I mean, I didn't mean to say that. I didn't mean to do that. You want everybody to extend grace to you, except for when you're the one who's offended. And then when you're the one that's offended, you're like, God, crush their teeth and grind them into bone, into powder and may their children be, you know, you start praying these, these David war story prayers that David uttered in the book of Psalms that we had the ability to watch God soften his heart down the road. But friends, you and I, if we want to break free from the spirit of offense, we've got to learn to extend grace to people. We'll take you back to elementary for a moment. Matthew 7 verse 12. It is the golden rule. You do unto others. You do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. For whatever you want men to do to you, you do also to them. What does that mean? That means if you want them to forgive you, then you have to forgive. If you want them to love you, then you have to love. If you want them to bless you, then you have to bless. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Hallelujah. Friends, we've got to learn to extend grace and mercy to those who've offended us. We've got to extend grace. Do you know that when you choose to remain offended, you are the one who is entrapped? A lot of times we feel justified in our emotions, and our thoughts on why we feel a certain kind of way. But the truth of the matter is oftentimes, and I've seen this to be, be so, I've had people offended at me before. I didn't even know they were offended. I'm sleeping good at night. I'm sleeping all night long. 
I am uh, uh, counting sheep and talking to the shepherd. I am, I am dreaming of, of eternity and bliss and, and, and God dreams. And, and I'm just having a good old time. But yet the person offended is at home and they can't sleep. And they're tossing and they're turning and they're rehearsing things in their head. That's what it's like to be in the prison of offense. You have to learn how to extend grace. Because when you extend grace, what happens is you take the foothold of the devil out of your life so you've got to extend grace I want everybody right now to think about somebody in your mind that you need to extend grace to is it an ex-husband is it an ex-wife is it a mom a dad a leader a pastor a professor who is it that has entangled you to the place of being offended. Friends, let me tell you something. The quicker that you extend grace, the quicker you're released from the captivity of offense. It's important. Do unto others what you would want them to do unto you. So what do we have here? We've got to stay in the Word. We've got to extend grace. Here's another one. Are you ready? We've got to forgive quickly we've got to forgive quickly no folks what I'm saying this morning is not easy to do in the flesh but the Bible says we don't walk after the flesh but after the spirit so this is a spiritual thing that you have to learn how to do you've got to learn to forgive quickly in other words when offense comes and it will it will. No, listen, nobody can offend you quicker than the people you're closest to. You got to learn how to forgive quickly. In other words, when, when offense comes into your life and that opportunity presents itself, you just have to be like the old saying, like water off a duck's back. You just got to let it roll off. Just let it roll off. Just let it roll off. I'm going to forgive quickly. Why am I going to forgive quickly? Look at Mark eleven twenty five. This is pretty important. Mark eleven twenty five. This is a great chapter on faith and how faith works and how to release your faith and use your faith. Jesus said, "Whoever says unto this mountain, be thou removed," but that's not a blank check and it's not a blanket statement because there's an attachment to that. And it's found in verse twenty five. He says, "And whenever you stand praying." Forgive. If you have anything against anybody, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. Listen, you're sitting here praying, bless God. Whew, I'm just praying up a storm as the old timers used to say. And I'm trying to pray a hole in heaven. And I'm trying to get some results in the spiritual realm. I'm praying over my job and my marriage and my finances. And I'm speaking to the mountain and I'm believing God. And, and the whole time the heavens are brass over you. Because Mark eleven twenty five 25 says that when you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. Because if you hold unforgiveness towards anybody, friends, let me tell you something. It hinders the reciprocal nature of forgiveness on your end. 
And the word picture here in the original language, it literally means to bind. Unforgiveness means to bind the hands. To bind the hands. So when you forgive, it looses the hands. But when you have unforgiveness, it binds the hands. I got a question for you. Do you want God's hands to be bound in your situation? Or do you want God's hands to be loosed in your situation? You got to learn how to forgive quickly. Last but not least, Darren, I'm finished. Last but not least, I saw this reading in some devotional time this week that I, I, I've read this scripture before and I've just jumped over it, passed over it. I don't know what it might be, but it stood out to me in a great way. You've got to stay in the word. You've got to extend grace. We have to forgive quickly. But lastly, lastly, I want you to pay attention to this one. You've got to make a choice. You've got to make a choice. Look at Acts 24, 16. I love this, this little scripture that's just nestled in, in here to somebody. Look at this. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and man. I always strive to have a conscience without offense towards God and man. Do you know it's, a poss- it's possible to be offended at God? It's possible to be offended at God. You know, the book of Job is a pretty sad book if you really read it for what it is. You have a guy that lost his kids, lost his his, his house, lost his animals, lost his wealth, lost everything is in a moment. He finds himself in a pile of ashes of yesterday's memories. Having the pieces of pottery, cutting himself to lance the boils on his arms. To get any ounce of pain, relief. His friends come and, Job, you must have got sin in your life or God must be punishing you, Job. Or you just don't have enough faith. Something like that. You know what the Bible says about Job? The Bible says in all this, Job never cursed God with his lips. He never sinned against God in that way. Now listen, Job doesn't have the perspective we have. Job didn't, listen, there is such a minuscule revelation of the adversary Lucifer in the Old Testament. It's very minuscule compared to the New Testament. Job Far as Job know, God was taking all this stuff. Before all Job know, God is the one that was beating the snot out of him. Us, looking down the road, are able to look and see that it was the adversary touching Job, that the heads had been lifted. But all Job knew is God was just beating the mess out of him. And Job had an opportunity to be mad at God. But the Bible says, in all this, Job did not sin against God with his lips. And he didn't charge God wrongfully. Friends, it's okay to question. You know, Job sat down with God uh, in the middle of the book. And Job's saying, you know, things like this. Well, I, he's having a pity party. He said, I wish I'd have never been born. I cursed the day of my birth. And God sits down by Job and he says, okay, Job, you got all these questions. He says, let me ask you a question. You're asking me a question. Let me ask you a question. Where were you? When the morning stars sang together and shouted for joy. 
Where were you when I told the oceans only to go this far? Where were you, Job, when I did all of these things? And Job just sat there speechless and amazed. And Job prayed, and the Bible says, and God gave him double because he prayed for his friends. But in all that notice, Job did not get offended towards God. You know, there are people that can get offended with God. When loved ones die, when there's tragedy that strikes, when things happen, I hear it all the time. I don't understand. I'm mad at God. Why did God end my marriage? God didn't end your marriage, buddy. You were mean. Y'all had problems. You wouldn't work out. She cheated. That wasn't God. God, why did my child die? Why did you take my baby from me? God, why did this happen? And, and it's possible in our questioning to accuse God or to have offense towards God. And I love this passage in Acts, this great discourse. He said, I strive. Everybody say strive. That means you got to work for it. You got to make a decision. You got to make a determination that I'm going to work in my life not to be offended towards God through things I don't understand or towards men. I'm just simply not going to do it. Why? Because being offended costs me my peace. And anything that costs your peace costs too much. It costs too much. I have to walk in the peace of God. So I'm telling somebody here this morning, like that monkey in the cage, you got to drop the stick. You're free to leave the cage at this moment. You hold on to it too long. That door will shut. And you'll find yourself in bondage. Offended people become bitter. Offended people become critical. Nobody can do anything right. Nothing looks right. Nothing sounds right. Nothing is right. Nothing is right because you're offended. The Bible says when the eye is pure, all things are pure. But when it's defiled, all things are defiled. You see things through the filter of your life, and God wants to give you a filter change today. He's saying in 2022, you've got to learn to drop the stick. And there are people today in this room, you're offended over past situations that have happened in your life, in your family. And they've held you captive from going forward. This morning, I want everybody in this room, man, woman, boy, girl, stand up on your feet.